Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tiger Kickoff, the podcast. I'm Bennett Durando alongside Nick Kelly and Liam Quinn. We cover Mizzou football for the Columbia Missourian. We're back for our 12th edition of this podcast in this season to help preview the Missouri-Florida game this Saturday. It's an 11 a.m. game. Uh, I know fans don't get very happy about that, but I think we're all pretty happy. Back uh, at home, finally. Back at home. Mizzou hasn't been at home for five weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh Three on the road in the bye week in there too. They lost all three of those games. Let's let's flash back to the end of the Ole Miss game real quick. Missouri was first place in the SEC East at the end of the night. They were five and one. They had won five straight games since a week one loss. What were you guys envisioning coming into this Florida game? Did that actually happen? That that just feels so long ago and like is that still this team? Did they stay in Columbia, or what happened? I'm not sure if it is. It this feels team, like a fever dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really thought, I thought they'd be seven and two. You know, I, I thought they'd. Yeah, I, think, I thought they would have lost to Georgia, and that would be okay. <laughs> and if and if you only take the Georgia sample size from the that three game road stretch. Yeah, like the, it, you know, like the how defense played well. How well are you going to play without Kelly Bryant against the number six team in the country on the road? Like. All things considered, like the Georgia performance wasn't that bad. No, not at their all. Court, their starting quarterback didn't play. And I think the most striking thing was how good the defense continued to be, even against a great opponent. Mm-hmm. A lot of the for the most of this season, we've looked at sort of Missouri's rankings in defensive categories statistically in the country. Uh, top fifteen in a lot of categories, top five in a couple of pass defense categories. And it's like, all right, they haven't really faced a quarterback who can throw the ball well. Jake Fromm was just that. He was 13 for 29, uh, around 170 yards. Missouri defended him well. They made Georgia kick five field goals. They were one of the best red zone offenses in the country. The All things considered, it's sort of a win for the defense in terms of proving itself. And, and you just wish that, if you're a Missouri fan, you just wish that the offense could sort of maybe get a score or two and, and hold up with it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I think yeah. if Kelly had played against Georgia, it's like a what could have been. They probably still would have lost. Yeah. But, I mean, it couldn't have been worse on offense. I mean, the offense on this three-game losing streak has a combined 21 points. Uh, they have more turnovers than touchdowns. And it seems to have gotten worse every game. Um culminating in the just pitiful performance without Kelly Bryant against Georgia. And they're not going to have an easier time against Florida. Florida has the 14th best defense in the country. Um, They have a lot of playmakers, especially up front. They lead the SEC in sacks. They have, I believe, nine players with at least two sacks. So it's a very... And that's, you know, a thing Missouri's offense has done pretty well all season is not allowing sacks. And now that's going to be uh, tested as well this week. On the other side of the ball, Georgia has a great offense. They have the third best offense in the SEC. We're talking about Georgia or Florida? Florida, sorry. Florida Unreal. Has, <laughs> Florida has the third best offense in the SEC behind only LSU and Alabama. Both of those rank in the top five nationally. So this is an efficient offense. It's an offense that doesn't turn the ball over that much. So like Georgia, this game is going to be a game where Mizzou is probably outclassed in terms of talent on both sides of the ball. 
Um, it's going to be another tough one, but it's also a game they kind of need because they're five and four. Their season is on the brink of disaster. A win here would obviously change a lot, but it's going to be very difficult to do. <laughs> so if Kelly can't go, it signs look good for him to play. If Kelly can't go, how do they handle the Taylor Powell and Connor Baselak situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the impression that I get from the team is that they want to stick with Taylor Powell and and not let a performance against Georgia dictate their decisions with him at this point in his career. But maybe this is an overreaction from a small sample size, but Connor Bazelak looked very good against he did. a lot of Georgia's starting defense on I, that one drive. And he looked better and more composed throwing the ball than Powell did really all game. I mean yeah. I mean at that at the point when Bazelak came in the game, he had nothing to lose. They were down, you know, twenty seven nothing, but he he looked poised out there. He made his he made good reads, and it was a, it ended up what being a seventeen play drive that he led them on. It was there was a lot of things to like there, and they would have scored had Jonathan Nance held on to a pass in the end zone. And the Tigers, when Baselak was on the field, converted more first downs than the entire game with Taylor Powell before that. <laughs> so they had six first downs with Connor Baselak on the field. Taylor Powell in ten drives had five. It, it was just more, there was more of a rhythm. It was more clinical. They had a nice tempo going in that drive, too. Uh, I loved his poise. That's what looked really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he didn't look rattled at all. And, you know, even though the game was out of hand at that point, it's still Georgia. It's still Stanford Stadium that, you know, seats 90,000 people. And, you know, the crowd started to filter out, but it was still making noise on third downs, you know. Still louder than Faroe Field is a lot of the time, so. <laughs> yeah, sadly, yes. Even with people leaving in the fourth quarter. But as much as we praise Bazelak, and I think that praise is warranted, um, you need Kelly Bryant to start on Saturday. You can't win without him. Um, and if you look at Florida, their you know, their strength comes from their pass rush, you know, if you're facing a team with a good pass rush, you're going to want an athletic quarterback out there just in case the pocket breaks down. And Powell and Powell and Bazelak both are not the athlete that Bryant is. Bryant's done a good job scrambling this season. It's probably been the thing he's been best at and to a point where he probably does it a little too much. Yeah, to a fault, really. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, so Bryant's a good scrambler, so if he doesn't play, that's going to be a that could be a big issue. And if he plays and he's not 100%, that also limits how well he's able to scramble. So it really, I think a lot of this game hinges on Kelly Bryant's health. Because unlike Georgia, I think this game is a little bit more winnable. Um, and we can get to that more a little later. But I think Kelly Bryant, you need a healthy Kelly Bryant if you want any chance to win on Saturday. Now, Liam, I know this is like... Very much an off-the-wall theoretical, but we were talking before the show about your uh, your new offensive scheme for Missouri that you would love to see them try on a couple of plays. I believe it was a two-quarterback system. Yeah, I, this is not just Missouri. I'd like to see more offenses in, the, in college and the pros implement a two-quarterback system. I think there are some at uh, there are some athletic positions like be it an extra quarterback, uh, extra running back or an extra wide receiver that you don't always need and don't always take advantage of. So why, instead of having, you know, three or four wide receivers, why not switch one of them out with a quarterback? Then that way, uh, 
the the option for a double pass is always there. The defense has to be wary that if if anything fails, instead of a check down to a running back, you throw a check down to a quarterback who can then maybe throw the ball down the field. But that's just you know a, a hope I have. It's not something that Missouri is going to implement anytime soon. Uh, Derek Dooley, especially, is a pretty reserved play caller, I would say. So I don't 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 anticipate that against Florida, but I think it could be interesting, and I'd like to see uh, more teams explore that. I it would Kelly be the? I I think you, it doesn't have to be the same every play. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what formation you're in, depending on what kind of personnel's out there for the defense, um, Kelly, I'd say more often than not. Uh, would probably line up under center in this because, in a way, it's like a quadruple option. You know, you have a running back next to the quarterback. He can either throw or hold on to it. And then once that option comes, he can throw to the next quarterback, and basically he's got the option to pass or run. It's very – it's very – it's not that complicated, but I'm making it sound really complicated. But I think you have to have two talented quarterbacks to pull it off. I I think you need – whether or, both are athletic. Or at least quarterbacks that are good at different things. I think that would help. Right. I don't know if Missouri has two guys that are uniquely talented yeah. like that yeah. right now. I think if Missouri were to do something like that, uh, it would only be occasionally, and it would just be Kelly out there most of the time. And then if you want Bazelak's arm, then maybe you throw him out there on a third down or something. I hope Derek Dooley hears this. This would be uh Derek, are you listening? It would be fun to see it once Call against me. Florida, right? Liam's Call giving me. away free offensive coordinating advice. Hey, so. I won a national championship on NCAA football <laughs> 13. I won multiple, so you know I think I know what I'm talking well, about. I don't mean to brag, but I have won a few Super Bowls in Madden. So. But NCAA I is, such either. A, is such a better game. You know, so, all right. So Bennett, why don't you leave the football talk to us? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're the experts here, Bennett. You're right. You're right. Well, in all seriousness, though, I I thought that Dooley called a very good game against Georgia, for the most part, even though they didn't score any points. I thought the the, the most striking thing was that they implemented Alberto a ton more. At yes. least early on, they were almost overcorrecting with how much Taylor Powell was trying to throw to them, to the point that. That led to that overthrow into double coverage interception that sort of led the whole game awry. But but I overall you like to see that improvement after so much time of why is Missouri not targeting its preseason All American tight end? They started designing plays that seemed more specific to him. Uh, He was the first option on most of his targets. So Mm -hmm. I, I. think that if they sort of continue with that trend and maybe find the balance where you're not overcorrecting it this week, yeah. I think I like where the offense might be headed. Yeah, because, you know, the running game has still not been what a lot of people probably expected from Missouri, but I thought against Georgia they did a better job than in the previous games of at least on first and second down getting positive yardage and mm-hmm. setting up more manageable third downs because, you know, against uh, Vanderbilt and Kentucky – the running game was doing nothing. They were gaining a yard or two on first down. And, you know, that sort of made Dooley have to throw on first down, which we know he doesn't really like to do based on, you know, the place he normally calls. So I think with Kelly Bryant, you're better served in those third and manageables than you are with, with Taylor Powell, who's just inexperienced. There's a little doubt that Kelly Bryant's just a better option. They need him on, on Saturday, and that's plain and simple, like you said. It's going to be really tough to win without him. But as far as the other elements of the offense, though, I mean, 
Roundtree and Beatty, how, how can they better use it? Because to me, the of course, Larry Roundtree right now is dealing with a sprained toe, and so he didn't play most of the second half. But Odom talked about that on Tuesday on how it's, even though he's not having what seems like as good of a season, his numbers aren't that different. They're they're not as good. They're not. It's not like right there. But right. Roundtree still, I figured he would take the next step this year, and he really hasn't. I don't know if that's just him or if it's in part the offensive line. It's the play calling. But it, Roundtree does not seem to have taken that next step that I think many people maybe expected from him. Well, I think, and I think you guys, I think we've talked about this before, but you'd love to see more from Roundtree. But I think most of the blame in this case relies on the offensive line. They haven't created holes in the running game really since since Ole Miss, and that's the last time the offense had a good game. So, you know, there's only so much running backs can do when the holes aren't there. And, like, we've still seen, like, snippets of, like, the talent they have in the backfield against uh, Kentucky. Missouri's only score was a— Tyler Beatty screen pass that he ran seventy four yards to the end zone, like, and it's some of the most impressive right. acceleration. Right. And they have, so they have talent, but the holes just haven't been there. And like running backs can only do so much on their own. But at the same time, though, if a running back's really great, they can take a small opening and a small hole and make a big deal out of. Barry Sanders did that his whole career with the Lions. Well, I don't think those guys are Barry Sanders. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's Barry Sanders. I'm just saying that I'm just saying that it, I don't think it's you can't just say it's always just on the offensive line and opening holes because there's something open. Whether or not that's, of course, it helps if it's a nice gaping hole that anyone can run through. But Roundtree has not shown the same same kind of just energy or, or just maybe acceleration that I was hoping to see from him this season in him taking a next step. Here's the thing, though. It, it, it does come back a little bit to the quarterback sometimes. There were two plays in the first half against Georgia, and I couldn't pinpoint the exact moments, but both plays, the pocket collapsed. Larry Roundtree was in the backfield on both plays, and he found space basically on the check down and, and Taylor Powell just completely missed him. Yeah, and or didn't didn't see him. That is, and it's. I think it's also that opposing coaches just don't respect Missouri's ability to throw the ball. You know, they've been jamming the middle of the field, and when Missouri had good runs against Georgia, it was to the outside. I think is something that we noticed in the first half, especially. But they don't expect they don't respect that ability, especially when it's Taylor Powell, not Kelly Bryant. And part of that also falls on the wide receivers because. Missouri's wide receivers have probably been the most disappointing position group this entire season. They haven't shown play, much playmaking ability at all. And, you know, when they're covered, they don't, it seems like they don't try to find creative ways to get open. And when that's the case, you know, Kelly's not going to be able to throw the ball deep. He's got to really rely on if his first, one of his first two reads can get open. And when that's the case, well, then you don't have to, uh, spend extra energy on the passing game, you can just uh, spend all your effort on defense trying to just make sure the running game doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, the deep ball has not been there at no. all this season. And whether that's because of one group or whether it's because of a variety of factors, I, I would lean toward the second being that the wide receivers aren't getting open. Kelly's not, there's been a few throws where it's, there have been people who have been open. Kelly's not hit them. And and the hard thing is, like you've alluded to and said, Liam, it, when one thing doesn't work, other things tend not to work either because then you can, as a defense, just defend one thing or you can stack the box. 
And many defenses are doing that because there just is not that deep threat. And I think as far as the, the wide receivers being a surprise or not being surprised or not living up to expectations, I don't think anyone thought this group was going to have great talent. You know, they brought in Jonathan Nance as a graduate transfer, and, and he's the guy who receives almost in the entirety of the snaps. They have a bunch of young guys in guys like Jalen Knox, Cam Scott. And so I think in a couple of years they could maybe have some really talented guys, but I think unfortunately Missouri just never had a deep pool of talented guys at that spot. And you look at Cam Scott and it's, I think, especially frustrating because he's a guy, you can see the the potential there. He's super fast, super athletic, and but he's, sort he's of, great in one-on-one right. with guys. But sort of Cam Scott in a nutshell is what happened in a two-play sequence against Georgia where he beat his cor- he beat his man. And Taylor Powell made a good throw, and Cam Scott didn't catch it. It was a little bit in front of him, but it was a catch that should have been made, and if he catches it, it's a touchdown because a defensive back's not going to be able to catch Cam Scott. And then on the next play, uh, he gets flagged for punching, slapping, whatever, a defensive player. Mizzou goes back 15 yards. That's the end of the drive. So it's it's frustrating when you see guys like Scott that, have some ability, but they just don't seem to be tapping into it. And last year, there was a lot of discussion in the team around trying to expand Emmanuel Hall's route tree beyond that go route. That you know, mm-hmm. and ultimately there wasn't a ton of that. The majority of his yards were mm-hmm. beating guys on a nine ball straight down the middle. And so, and I, I almost wonder if just. Give Cam Scott the freedom to try that more out wide. Yeah, but he's got to catch the ball. I know, and, <laughs> and, and you would like to think eventually that he will. <laughs> but he also had three drops against Kentucky, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I It just makes me wonder if maybe they're, they've used him in the slot a couple of times. I'm not sure if that's the best way to use him. Mm-hmm. I think if the more space you can give Cam Scott out wide, the better. But his his lack of discipline has certainly been frustrating and, and the team's. And, as a whole, and now, Jonathan Johnson didn't play last game because he's sick, and he—I don't think we saw him on practice at practice on Tuesday. I don't think he was in uniform yet. Well, he, he's dealing with a shoulder injury right now, too. That, okay, so and, and Jonathan Johnson—you know—he's not the speed demon that maybe Cam Scott is or Emmanuel Hall was, but he's their most reliable passing option. He leads the team receptions. He's his hands are not a question mark. You know, you you know what you're gonna get from Jonathan Johnson, and now he's not on the field. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, uh, I should say Jonathan Johnson's hands are a sure thing in the passing game, uh, not so much in the punt returning game. Yeah, that was uh, a one, that was a one and done thing. Yeah, <laughs> that did, that did not go well. What, what game was that? That was Ole Miss. That was Ole Miss. Wow, Dang, it was Ole Miss because then Cade Musser came in, and uh, that's right. He that game and. The next one in Vanderbilt, he probably caught like nine punts or so combined. All of them were fair catches except one, which he went for like seven yards. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Man, that's a while ago. Yeah. Well, for this game, though, against Florida, it's slightly more winnable than the Georgia game, especially mm-hmm. considering it's at home for a team that cannot seem to win on the road. Still undefeated at home. Yes, they are. So, Liam, what's your score prediction? Well, um, so... Here's what I think needs to happen for Mizzou to win. It needs to be a slog. And nobody wants to watch that, but Missouri's offense is not good enough to keep up with Florida's offense. That's kind of how it is. But that doesn't mean it's not possible for Missouri to win because Georgia is the second worst running team in the SEC. Only Vanderbilt. You mean Florida? 
Sorry, Florida. <laughs> Jeez. I'm having, Twice. A, I'm having a tough day. Florida is the... He wants to go back to Georgia. It's too cold here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he... I mean, Florida will not run the ball. They are... Only Vanderbilt is worse at it in the SEC. So if Missouri can defend the pass well like they did uh, last week, they certainly have a chance if Kelly Bryant plays. I don't think that they're going to win. I think it will be low scoring and it will be close. I'm going to go... And I'm going to be really conservative with this. I'm going to say Georgia 13 to Georgia? 7. <laughs> See, now you've got it in my head. Florida, Florida, the Gators 13, Missouri 7. Bennett? I've got 20 to 7, Florida, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. So, I, sorry, Georgia is what I think. <laughs> They're playing Florida. Please disregard me. It's been, a, it's been a long week. They're facing both teams at once. Yeah, they the got best no players chance. from Georgia and Florida <laughs> against the Missouri Tigers. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 24 to 13. Who? Florida. <laughs> okay, thank you. I mean Georgia. I mean Florida. <laughs> okay, so I mean Missouri. What? <laughs> so we all pick Florida to win, correct? We all didn't. So we all picked Missouri in each of the first seven weeks, and we've all picked against them in the last two. So yeah. I guess our picks haven't been that great. No. Well, to be honest, <laughs> that's how it was kind of supposed to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, right? I mean, so, like, I pick against Missouri this week, but, like, I wouldn't be shocked, even though they've been playing poorly, I wouldn't be shocked if they somehow won. You know what? I've, I've told you guys this before, but in terms of how it was supposed to go, I just keep thinking back to Minnesota and where that program is at right now. They are... I think an exact model of what Missouri was supposed to be this year. They had that Penn State game that was the landmark on their and, schedule. And Missouri's in the SEC, and Minnesota's in the south of the north. The south of the north, <laughs> as as uh, Liam once notoriously called Minnesota. That still is a question mark, but you know. Um, but but yeah, they. Penn State was that landmark on their schedule after an extremely easy schedule. Minnesota and Missouri actually have the two easiest. Power five schedules in the country. I don't think that's the case anymore now. Because, because of Georgia and Penn State? Yeah. yeah it, but through those first uh, eight weeks, they did. And so was eight no plausible for Missouri? It was. Instead, they were five and three. Minnesota won the games they were supposed to. They were at eight and no. And that Penn State game was such a more seismic game in terms of importance. And they end up winning it. And, and, here they are now, number eight, I think, right? Eight in the playoff rankings. In the playoff, I think seventh. Yeah. The overall. And now they get the opportunity to get destroyed by Ohio State. So exactly. Congratulations so, to Minnesota. Which is what Missouri would have had with LSU or Alabama. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, in their case, probably Georgia. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> okay, so now it's time for your favorite part of the show. It's time for player or professor Last week, we tried a new rule change, and I don't know about you listeners at home, but we, we all really liked this way a little bit better. We think it's a, it's not so much dependent on the other person. It's now more, can you guess which name is which? So, like last week, the way we will do it is I will give each two names, and uh, one of them, different, two different names for each, and then each will guess. And we like it this way, and that's the way we're going to do it. So, without further ado, Nick, you are first since you won last week. You had a good week last week, I believe. 5-0. and oh. That's right. Okay, Nick, so you are up first. Daniel Diffendale, 
or Travis Freeman? I'm going to say that Diffendale is the player. And Freeman is the professor. Yes. That is incorrect. Daniel Diffendale is a research fellow in Mediterranean studies, and Travis Freeman is not listed under any position. He's known as an athlete. So I too am known as an athlete. All by, right, moving by, by on. By whom? <laughs> uh, okay, so Nick, hey. O for one, Bennett, Adam Schuler, or Timothy Evans. Adam Schuler or Timothy Evans. I think that Timothy Evans is the professor. Schuler is the player. That is correct. Adam Schuler is a defensive lineman, and Timothy Evans is in veterinary pathobiology. Don't really know what that is, but it sounds interesting. Does it? To, to Timothy Evans, I'm sure it does. Uh, so that means <laughs> after one after one round, Bennett leads one nothing. So you're up first this time, Bennett. Sounds good. Joseph Erb or Rick Wells? I think Erb is a... Professor Wells is a player. Bennett, you are two for two. Joseph Erb is in visual studies, and Rick Wells is a wide receiver. So that's two for Bennett. Nick, got some catching up to do. Jay Dow or Chase Whitfield? I'm going to say that Jay Dow is the professor. He is. That is. Yeah, that felt easy. I don't know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I went against my gut in the last one, and so I this one I was going with my guts. Okay, so that means after two rounds, Bennett leads it two to one. Nick, you're at first. Coleman Crozier or Aaron Harms? Coleman Crozier, ah, Coleman Crozier or Aaron Harms? I'm going to say Harms is the player. And Crozier is the professor? That is incorrect. Uh... Aaron Harms is in the teaching school, and I forgot to write down what position Crozier is, but he is a player for Florida. So, Bennett, Scott Holen or Austin Perry? Scott Holen, you said? Nolan Nolan with an H. Oh, interesting. That changes things. Um, <laughs> I think Austin Perry is the player. Nolan's the professor. That is correct. Scott Holen is a stats professor, and Austin Perry is an athlete, once again. So that is, Bennett, are you three for three? I believe so. Wow, not bad. All right, you're up first (laughs) this time, Bennett. (laughs) Yep. Garrett Connor or Sam Kiger? Mm Mm-hmm. Garrett Connor or Sam Kiger? I think Kiger... Is the player Connor is the professor? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Ooh, Sam Kiger is in civil engineering, and uh, Garrett Connor is another athlete. All these players are athletes. Uh, How Nick, about that, Nick? Kiger, Donald Meyer, or Lucas Kroll? Donald Meyer or Lucas? Kroll. I'm gonna say Lucas Kroll is the player. That is correct. He is a tight end. So Nick pulls a needed one back. I feel like there aren't too many Donalds no. that are yeah. playing college football right now. I don't know. No. Yeah, that's not the first thing I think of when I think of the name Donald. Donald Duck. 
Yeah. Uh, so last question. The score is three to two, and you know what that means. <laughs> you know what that means. This last question is worth 100 points. What? And, and I didn't see that coming. And since it's worth 100 points, we'll have Nick go first because he's losing. So that'll make it a little more entertaining, I think. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Nick, Jacob Copeland or Joel Poor? Jacob Copeland is the player. That is correct. Joel Poor teaches business. He teaches marketing. marketing. Oh, come on. So, You're not allowed to. I earned this. I sat through that class for a semester. <laughs> oh, did you have this? I did. That's a violation. Wow. Hey, man. Sorry. I didn't know. Don't really care. Oh, my. But Bennett, God. you still have a chance to win. Whatever. Jack Anders or David Reed? Now, Florida has a David Reese, right? They have two David Reeses. So I'm going to say Reed is a Missouri professor and Anders is the player. You are correct. Guess what David Reed teaches? He teaches English. Uh, <laughs> That's fitting. <laughs> so poor teaches marketing and Reed teaches English. But Bennett, on the last question of the game, wins it 103 to 102. Bennett, 30 seconds. <laughs> wow, what a thriller. That was one of the best of the season, I think. Just back and forth, haymakers, and uh, I think we really saw... Which one of us is capable of winning in the clutch? That's all. You know? Poor me. <laughs> poor, yes, poor you. So, yeah, that's our game. Bennett yeah. wins. He snaps Nick's streak, I think, right? Yeah. I think I'm only a game back. Nick acts like he's always the winner and the dominant force in this game. I've won six of them. He's just not. So we're pretty even. But that is all the time we've got for you. Missouri and Florida kick off at 11 Central Time on Saturday. Until then, we hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been Tiger Kickoff, the podcast. I'm Beth Durand alongside Liam Quinn and Nick Kelly. See you next week.